everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, here along with my co-host, Chris Weigel. And every weekend, we're here, we're doing life together, and we're so glad that you've joined us. It is the weekend again, Dr. Yay. Linda. It seems like it was the weekend last weekend, It too. was, mm-hmm. actually, if we think about it. <laughs> That's right. Well, Dr. Linda, this is one program that uh, we want everyone to hear, because we think it'll be very informative. We're talking about cannabis. It's also known as marijuana. And uh, we're going to do an update and separate myth from truth. There's just a lot of misinformation when it comes to uh, cannabis. You are so right about that. The misinformation is just incredible when I talk to people. And there's also very strong emotion, very strong opinion around this subject. So we are going to do our best, Chris, to speak the truth into this emerging public health issue. And on today's program, you are calling cannabis a public health issue. Why is that? Because the science hasn't caught up with the use and regulation, and we already have a problem legalizing this substance before we have good data to know if this is really a good idea. And again, there's so much opinion, even in the church, that a lot of people are misinformed. In your most recent book, Living Beyond Pain, you covered medical marijuana. What made you want to do a show on this now, especially to talk more about recreational use? A couple of things happened, Chris. First, I was at a funeral. And a a relative was telling us that he is a chemist Mm -hmm. working for a new company, and he was recently promoted. Now, mind you, he has no college degree, and he's never formally studied chemistry. We found out that his new chemistry job was a cannabis startup, and he was developing new edibles. I was afraid you were going to say he worked at a nuclear power plant. No, but, but, <laughs> but, but think about that. And here's what he was doing. He was telling us that because cannabis is natural, there is no reason for concern. Mm, wow. So I've got this person at this funeral who has no background developing these products and talking about this as if there's no issue here. I also then heard him giving medical advice mm. about cannabis. And this is someone who has no education or training in evaluating scientific studies and is basing his, what he would call, facts on the cannabis companies. So here you are at this funeral. What did you do? Nothing. I really didn't do anything Mm -hmm. because it was a funeral and I wasn't about to start a conflict at the funeral about cannabis and marijuana. But it was disturbing how this person was promoting himself as an expert and then thinking that he can give medical advice to a bunch of people mm-hmm. that were there. Is there something else in this that uh, that got you fired up? Well, I was also attending, so here's the second part, I was also attending a Mayo Clinic conference in Palm Springs, California. Now, I had never been to Palm Springs. Have you, have you ever been there? Never have. I tell you, it's a really interesting town mm. <laughs> in a lot of ways. So one night what happened is Norm and I went to the downtown area to eat dinner. And I was just really taken aback by how much cannabis was promoted in the shopping areas of the town. Dispensaries were everywhere. It looked like high-end retail shops. uh, And there were workers outside the shops inviting people to come in, to relax, to partake. You could get whatever you needed in all sorts of forms. They had candies and cookies, and it's all legal. So what struck me was how in my face all of this was. And the claims being made by those selling the products were just wild. There were, they call them bud tenders, (laughs) instead of bartenders, providing all kinds of medical advice. Again, when you ask them, they have no health training. They're telling customers all these wellness benefits that actually have not been proven in the research yet. And you wrote a blog about this not long ago called 
What Emergency Departments Tell Us About Cannabis. And it was based on an article from Medscape about the fallout of legalized cannabis uh, as they saw it in Colorado emergency departments. Emergency departments and hospitals are seeing an increase in visits following legalization. That's right. So those visits reveal an increase in mental illness, including psychosis, suicide, and other substance abuse. Add to this fatal motor vehicle accidents, the impact of the use of cannabis on the cardiovascular and the pulmonary system, unintended pediatric exposure, so kids getting a hold of this and eating the edibles, Mm. hash oil burn injuries, they're seeing more of those, cannabis contaminants, which expose users to infectious agents, so they're not pure products, they don't know what's in them a lot of times when they're taking them, and some of these products have heavy metals and pesticides in them. So to your point, the National Institutes of Health tells us that the number of adults who use pot daily has jumped 50% since legalization. And Mark Kleiman is a professor of public policy at New York University, and he agrees with you, Dr. Linda. He has declared cannabis a public health problem. He says this is because cannabis is not benign. It is more available and potent than ever before. So we're going to get back to the science in a bit, but what's really striking about the fallout of cannabis use is what those emergency department workers and healthcare professionals hear from regular pot users. So we're going to get into the science, but I also want to talk about the comments that people are making. They say things like, and this was what they reported in that article, I can't quit even though I want to. I'm smoking more than I want to. I'm not doing things I'm responsible for. My memory and motivation are a problem. There are lots of stories in that report about people losing their jobs, money, relationships, and those increase in mental health problems. Well, isn't marijuana still classified as a a Schedule I drug by the uh, federal government, which means it has no accepted medical use despite the claims that it does. Yes, and it has been legalized without the due diligence of good research. I saw an ad that showed cannabis and said, no drugs. Now, it's a drug. I mean, that was just incredible to me. The implication is this is safe because it's natural. But in this hotbed political emotional climate, the full story of cannabis gets overlooked, I think, Chris, because it's so emotional and political. It's not harmless. It has a significant impact on your life when you use it regularly, even though people don't talk about that very often. But so many people lose interest in things like going to the gym, going out with friends, or doing ambitious things. And it causes a lot of relationship problems, especially when one person is smoking pot and the other person is not. And that is really critical. I read an article about when both people are smoking pot, they seem to not care and they are okay together. Well, okay. But then what happens? And then a lot of times there's job loss along with that. See, in the 70s, there was a a famous duo (laughs) that were known for their use of marijuana, and it was sort of a joke and funny, but this is this is serious stuff here. Some people say you just chill out with a joint and there is no hangover, and that, I've heard that when it's compared to alcohol. Yes, yes, and alcohol's a problem, so we're not suggesting that alcohol is without its problems as well. One substance that has a problem doesn't make another substance with a problem less problematic, right? right? Mm-hmm. But that chilling becomes more and more prominent, and what happens is it leads to less and less productivity. And people build tolerance to a drug as well, and then they have to have more and more of that. And we'll talk about the effects it has on relationships a little bit later in the show. And we do want to provide more to this story concerning cannabis use. And after the break, let's talk about the impact of marijuana on the brain, especially among teens. 
Hey, it's Chris from the Dr. Linda Mental Radio Show. Dr. Linda's latest book is titled Living Beyond Pain. It gives practical tools to anyone who is living with chronic pain and wants to get his or her life back on track. Recently, Dr. Linda's listeners had questions about pain, and she answers those questions with tips from her book, Living Beyond Pain. Hi, Dr. Linda and Chris. When I start to feel pain, I get really scared and think it's only going to get worse. Is this making my pain worse? Fear causes you to avoid, and when you start to avoid, you isolate. You don't do things like exercise or engage with people, which are all things that will help you with your pain. Fear can cause you to interpret pain as catastrophic. So when you get afraid, you're like, oh no, oh no, I'm not going to be able to go to that event or I'm not going to be able to make graduation, whatever it is. Fear can lead to being hypervigilant about your pain, which means that you're on high alert and you're attending to it. And one of the things we know is the more you attend to pain, the worse your pain gets. So we want to distract away from it. And fear can stop you from doing things that gradually you could do. Fear can also, Chris, lead to depression and anxiety. Hey, thanks, Dr. Linda. If you would like a copy of Dr. Linda Mental's book, Living Beyond Pain, go to drlindamental.com. Or you can find Living Beyond Pain anywhere books are sold online. Welcome back to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and today's topic is cannabis and what you need to know. And we've got a lot more to talk about, but before we move on, I want to remind you to check out Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com, and that's where you'll find her books, blogs, and you can connect on social media. And remember, you can listen to our podcast anytime on iTunes. And Dr. Linda, what that means is if you do the free subscription to iTunes, when a new show pops up, just like that, it shows up on your phone. And it's free. And yeah. it's free. And you can listen anytime you want. And you can look at the list of podcasts and you can say, hmm, I'm really interested in that one. And just listen to that one as well. How would you like to be out on your, your jog and have this program <laughs> in your earbuds? That's right. That would be an awesome experience, right? <laughs> oh, by the way, you can also check out Dr. Linda's book, Living Beyond Pain. By the way, it has a section that reviews medical marijuana. And our focus today is on the recreational use of marijuana. So we're not talking about medical marijuana right. today, and we review the evidence for that, and we're looking at studies as that relates to chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Today, we're just talking about the recreational use of marijuana. And your point is the cannabis industry is driven by making money. Boy, and that is what this is all about. It's making money off of another substance. The health and mental health of Americans is going to be addressed, Chris, after the billions have been made on a new legal industry. And we've seen this with alcohol. We've seen mm -hmm. this with tobacco. Most people, though, don't know the full story of risk until they find themselves in trouble. And all we're trying to do on today's show is say, look, if you know somebody who uses pot or if you're somebody who uses pot, we just want you to be informed. We're not trying to preach at you. We're not trying to say you should do this or that. We just want you to understand that this is not benign and that there are issues involved with the use of marijuana. I think one red flag so far in the show, as we've talked about marijuana use or cannabis use, is uh, we haven't said the word FDA. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the uh, lack of federal involvement in legalization of marijuana. Because the federal government is not regulating this, it means that marijuana products are not being safety tested like pharmaceuticals are. Did you realize that when you heard about how it was being legalized? Seems like it was on a state-by-state -state basis and that didn't have anything to do with the FDA. Yeah, so they don't look at things like what's in it, how it's mm -hmm. being dosed, like they do with food products. So 
food products are regulated like that, and there are rules, and they're subjected to certain kind of guidelines. They're subjected usually to agricultural safety and pesticide standards like crops. They're held to labeling standards like alcohol is. So health experts are really uncomfortable with the fact that none of this is being regulated. And they're really trying to say, this is a vice product that's widely available, it's loosely regulated, and it's fully commercialized. And it should have gone through FDA approval and regulation, in my opinion. Why has the FDA not acted on this yet? You know, I think the horse got out of the cart. I mean, it just Mm. got ahead of things before we really understood what was going on. I think because this became such a political issue of legalization, the due diligence just wasn't done. The thinking right now is that heavy users will make up a huge share of sales with businesses wanting them to buy more and spend more and use more despite the uh, health consequences. So my concern is that we have lobbyists, we have special interest people, people whose motivation is just to make money that are writing the laws and taking control of the conversation. Mm. Well, let's shift gears for just a second and talk about the impact of the brain with marijuana, and I think you are going to focus on the impact on teens as, as well. well. Yeah, so there are a number of scientific review articles that discuss the impact of cannabis on the brain with a link to structural problems in the brain, functional problems, and chemical changes. So listen to this, because this is important when the changes can include increases in psychosis in some people. So people who never had psychosis can be prompted with psychosis from marijuana use. Impulsivity, depression, anxiety, suicidality, decrease in their cognitive thinking, Hmm. IQ can decrease. And executive functioning, that's the part of the brain that makes good decisions and thinks about problem solving. They have been shown to have deficits in learning, memory attention, and in social interactions. One of the concerns with regular use, Chris, is that the brain may experience permanent changes. This is irreversible at this point. Well, there are certain things that happen depending on the age and the use of a person. So it really makes a difference, particularly when we're talking about teens. The brain is not fully formed at this point. That's right. Recently, there was an important study done that was reported in the Journal of Neuroscience that talked about the teen brain and pot use. According to that study, smoking cannabis just once as a teenager is enough to alter brain structure. Hmm. So I don't think too many teens know that. Scientists found that taking the drug just once or twice by the age of 14, by the age of 14, led to greater gray matter in the brain. Those are the areas in the brain that are linked to emotion and memory. The lead scientist said in that study, consuming just one or two joints seems to change the gray matter in the brain, which impacts emotions, particularly the emotions of fear and memory. Well, Dr. Linda, this uh, should come as no surprise, but I am not a neuroscientist. (laughs) But surprise! (laughs) I would think that more gray matter is better than less. Yeah, although the more brain cells might seem beneficial. So if you're making more brain cells, right, it seems more beneficial. Mm -hmm. In fact, the developing teenage brain at that stage in development is doing something called pruning the cells. So they're getting rid of things that they think are not important. That's what prepares people for adulthood. It removes the unwanted neural connections and allows more important links to be strengthened. So in the study that greater brain volume was also associated with slightly worse IQ performance Mm. on the brain. So the brain isn't functioning basically the way it's supposed to. You know, part of the problem seems to be that the pot products are becoming more potent and more socially acceptable to use. 
and is easier to come by. There is an increase in the strength of cannabis. We're also seeing an emergence of new types of products, such as edibles. That's the brownies, the gummies, mm. the yep. candy. And that's the part that kids get really, you know, they, they can grab and think that they're okay. And then they're getting marijuana. Um, there are tinctures, there are vape pens, there's sublingual sprays, there's concentrates. There's so many ways that this is being manufactured. Ziva Cooper, who is an associate professor of clinical neurobiology in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University Medical Center, told a reporter for The Atlantic, a lot of these concentrates can have up to 90% THC. Mm. That's the part of cannabis that is makes you euphoric. Okay. 90%, she said, whereas the kind of flower you could get 30 years ago, far, far weaker. So mm. nowhere near those levels. Scientists are not sure how such high-octane products are going to affect people's bodies. She said potent marijuana products might have more potential for raising tolerance, introducing brain damage, and creating dependence. So there's a lot of concern about how potent all of these products are becoming. So, so what we're seeing today isn't your, your, your grandfather's weed that he was smoking at Woodstock. Yeah. It's a little the, different. Exactly. It's not the same as the 60s. It's mm-hmm. way more potent, way, way more potent. And now we have thousands of local governments earning tax money off of the sales, and they are now investing in that lie. Why is there such a no-big-deal attitude about using pot? Part of the legalization was sold with the assumption that there was no harm. Do you remember that? Do you remember it's no big deal? It's no harm? Well, one argument I heard was this stuff is safer than a cigarette on your lungs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in reaction to that message that everyone has smoked marijuana, look, it hasn't ruined their life, all these people do it, the message has been that this is harmless, that it's natural, and it's non-addictive. And boy, the Mm non-addictive part of that is really a lie. Right. It's also being promoted as a a new way to relax. That's right. And so again, it has consequences. So if people are saying, I would rather chill with a joint than, you know, have four glasses of wine at night, both of those are problematic. And the sellers are targeting broad groups of the consumer market. They're targeting soccer moms, recent retirees, folks looking to replace their nightly glass of Chardonnay, like I just said, with mm-hmm. a, you know, a precisely dosed, low-calorie, hangover-free mint. You know, many have consciously played up cannabis as a lifestyle product to give yourself as a gift, like a a nice crystal or an antioxidant face cream. So it's really being promoted as no big deal. And the thing that is so worrisome as we talk about that, there is a percentage of people who will become addicted and have problems. Speaking of that, you read a story in The Atlantic about a young man who started off smoking with his friends when they were playing sports or video games, that type of thing, uh, lighting up to chill after his uh, nine-to-five job. Uh, Let's talk about him. It's only one story. You know, I I know people will say, well, I can tell you five other stories that it didn't end that way. But I just think this story is interesting because I've heard this so many times. His fun soon turned out to be him sitting on a couch all day. He lost interest in working out. He wasn't going out. He wasn't doing anything with his roommates. And that's one of the big things about marijuana use, Chris. It's demotivating. You just don't want to do anything. Hmm. A lack of motivation, slow erosion of his ambition. He was a paralegal. He was going to go to law school, but then he was getting farther and farther away from that. He started smoking before work, then after work. Eventually, he realized it was impossible to get through the day without it. He said, I was smoking anytime I had to do anything boring, and it took a long time before I realized that I wasn't doing anything 
without getting stoned. And mm. that's one of the concerns and the worries. And his first attempts to reduce his use, that went miserably because uh, the consequences on his health and his life had piled up. Yeah, he gained 40 pounds. Hmm. He said when he stopped working out and cooking his own food at home, that's what happened. He recognized that he was just barely getting by at work, and he was constantly worried about getting fired as a result of that. And then worse, his friends were unsympathetic to the idea that he was struggling and he needed help because they were like, hey, it's just pot. Right. And he shared his story in that article because he knows many other people who found their use to be problematic, just like he did. And we're not saying that everyone who uses cannabis is going to develop a cannabis use disorder. We're not saying that. But like any substance, it does have risks. My concern is how it's being promoted as no big deal. Look at all the problems we have with alcohol and tobacco, two legal drugs, but lots of problems. Alcohol is still the number one problematic substance in America. Activists continue to say there are no negative effects, and that just isn't Mm. true. Well, we've unpacked a lot about cannabis use in this segment, and there is more to talk about. Stay with us as we talk more about what you need to know about how cannabis works with relationships. Some days, I simply have to fight discouragement. When those days come, I like to read the Psalms and meditate on the cure for my discouragement. Take Psalm 103, for example. David, feeling discouraged, talks to himself in a way that uplifts his soul. He tells his soul to bless the Lord and to remember the benefits of serving God. David wrote this psalm to encourage himself in the Lord, something I know I need to do regularly. Instead of focusing on all of his problems, David decided to engage his will and rehearsed the goodness of God. He begins the psalm by blessing the Lord. Then he speaks to his soul and reminds himself of all that God does for those who are faithful to him. So when you feel discouraged, do what David did and encourage yourself in the Lord. It will transform that discouragement to praise and gratitude. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and Dr. Linda has written numerous books that you can find on her website, drlindamental.com, and check out her latest book written with physician Dr. Jim Cribbs. It's called Living Beyond Pain. And Dr. Linda, we've unpacked a lot concerning the use of cannabis and marijuana, but it would seem that uh, if we're to talk about relationships, there can be some serious implications with the use of marijuana. Right. So like all substance use, marijuana users have difficulty processing and expressing their emotions. So that's a fallout that really Mm -hmm. can affect a relationship. As a result, their hurt and anger are expressed sometimes in immature and sometimes inappropriate ways. And of course, their remedy for emotional distress is to get high or altered. That's a way that people cope. And that only makes the problem worse. That's my biggest concern is that whenever you have an issue and a problem in a relationship, if you medicate your problems away, you're not dealing with the problems. And family members learn to cope by just getting away from the person. They Mm -hmm. detach emotionally. They're tired of seeing the person stoned. They start to lower their expectations in the relationship. And over time, the pain and the disappointment is just no longer tolerable. So we see separation and we see divorce as a result of one person using in a relationship. I've heard that cannabis is a relief for depression and social anxiety. This gets really tricky, Chris, as marijuana often makes psychiatric symptoms worse. And as I mentioned before, it can even prompt the onset of some of those, especially when we're talking about bipolar disorder and psychotic disorders. That makes things really 
worse for those people that are diagnosed with those. The National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine Review found that the regular use of marijuana may actually be an increased risk of social anxiety. Think about it. You just don't care as much, which might make you feel better, but altering yourself is not getting to the root of the problem. And you've seen this in the in the work that you do with folks, that many people who have mental illness also smoke pot. In some cases, heavy cannabis use does seem to cause mental illness. As the National Academy panel declared, it's one of the few unequivocal conclusions. This is the quote, cannabis use is likely to increase the risk of developing schizophrenia and other psychosis. The higher the use, the greater the risk. And it hits the stable middle-class professionals. Berenson, who, who used to be an investigator for the Times and is married to a psychiatrist, writes this, and I'm going to quote this because I liked it. A surprising number of them, and he's talking about middle-class professionals, seem to have used only cannabis and no other drugs before their breaks. The disease they've developed looks like schizophrenia, but it has developed later, and their prognosis seems to be worse. Their delusions and paranoia hardly respond to antipsychotics. So one theory is, Chris, that the THC, that euphoric part of cannabis, may interfere with the brain's anti-inflammatory mechanisms, and as a result, it damages nerve cells and blood vessels. That's one of the theories. In The New Yorker, some interesting findings about violence with cannabis users. We usually think cannabis mellows someone. Malcolm Gladwell looked at Alex Borenson's short manifesto, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and violence. Yeah, I really like Malcolm Gladwell. I like his books. But Berenson mm-hmm. looked at the early results from the state of Washington, which in 2014 became the first U.S. jurisdiction to legalize recreational marijuana. So between 2013 and 2017, the state's aggravated assault rate rose 17 percent, which was nearly twice the increase seen nationwide. And the murder rate rose 44 percent, mm-hmm. which was more than twice the increase nationwide. We don't know that an increase in cannabis use was responsible for that surge in violence. No, but Berenson thought, he just thought it was strange that at a time when Washington may have exposed its population to higher levels of what is widely assumed to be a calming substance, Mm. its citizens began turning on one another with increased aggression. It's just something to think about. What about using other substances? Is that more likely if you use marijuana? Basically, is it a gateway drug? Yes. Studies show that if you use or abuse marijuana, you're more likely to use other substances like tobacco, alcohol, and even harder drugs. Then you become what we call a polyuser, which is really harmful for your health and for your relationships. This can create sadness, concern, lack of trust, conflicts, anger, stress, a whole lot in your relationships. It's good to know, Dr. Linda, as we we hear all of these claims. And stay tuned as more and more good studies on cannabis will come out in the future. In the meantime, there are a lot of reasons to be concerned. And certainly from a spiritual perspective, when you are high, it causes you to become more disengaged, not only from people, but from life in general. With any substance, we need to ask, am I using this as an escape from real life problems, my marriage, my children, my job? Should I be addressing those problems and not running from them? Do you need a temporary fix, or do we need the creator of the universe to take you on a spiritual high that will lead to your ultimate wellness? I'll choose the latter. Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to our producer, Norm Mintel, our engineer, and my co-host, Chris Weigel, who makes the show a conversation. From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. 
Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.